Welcome to the Voice of Family Business on Capitol Hill. It's great to have you with us. With each podcast from Family Enterprise USA, we bring you the latest news, expert opinions, and insights affecting the country's largest employer, the American family business. If you like this series, please remember to subscribe and sign up for alerts as future shows are posted. This podcast is sponsored by Intellex, global manufacturer of sustainable ingredients for the beauty and personal care industries. In this episode, the discussion is focused on the need for educating the next generation of family business leaders. Family Enterprise USA's Pat Soldado interviews Daniel Vanderbilt, the John and Diane Smith Executive Director, Family Business Initiative in the S.C. Johnson Graduate School of Management at Cornell University. Now, let's listen in on where the state of education and family communication are today and the role family business centers and universities play today among America's largest private employer, the family business. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Pat Soldano, president of Family Enterprise USA and Policy and Taxation Group. If you don't know who we are, we advocate for multi-generational family businesses and their lifetime of savings and investment in their businesses around the countries, from all industries, big and small. I'm delighted to be here today with my friend, Daniel Vanderfleet, one of the top educators on family business and the development of tomorrow's next generation of family business leaders. Dan is the John and Diane Smith Executive Director of the Family Business in the SC Johnson Graduate School of Management at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. We have a lot to talk about when it comes to next generation of family business leaders, and Dan is right in the middle of that development. Dan, it's great having you here. Thank you so much for taking the time from your very busy schedule. Thanks, Pat. It's good to see you as always. So, Dan, my first question is, I know you travel quite a bit, and recently you just came back from India, where you taught a class on family business to students there. If you were to compare the challenges of those family businesses, that next generation of leaders in India, with the students that you teach at Cornell, what are the differences? Or are the issues the same all around the world? Yeah, India is a a wonderful laboratory, if you will, for family business. Um, The numbers of family business in India are pretty staggering. I've seen numbers higher than 90% are family-owned, family-controlled, or family-influenced in India. But You know, there are many similarities when it comes to family business in India, as there are here. I think uh, first, just working with family is always a challenge. You know, the separating the emotional context from the business context uh, is, is really the same no matter where you go throughout the world. Issues of transition and succession and uh, how businesses determine who might take the business over and when are certainly always uh, an issue there as well. I would say uh also just you know the interest level of the next generation i mean this this generation of family business leaders has access to things that frankly you and ipad really didn't i mean this is a it's a global world now they can do business from a laptop uh, they can communicate with anyone anywhere at any time so that poses both an opportunity i think as well as a challenge for any family business as well as modernization so folks want to work in uh, relevant businesses and businesses that have a future to them. Uh, so I think that's the same here as it is in India. I would say some things that are very different in India. Um, the family context is much different in India. Living together with family through adulthood uh, by choice, not by uh, need or necessity, is very common in India. Um, also, the fact, and, and if they're not living together, they're all living in very close proximity and working in close proximity. 
a few of the things that I saw in India, and, and this is, you know, well known, is that, uh, you know, um, the status of women uh, and their ability to enter into the business is still, there's still a lot of room for growth in India. There's there's progress being made for sure. There's some amazing female entrepreneurs right now, uh, but we are seeing some cases uh, being fought right now of some pretty high profile companies like Moragrappa, where the female, although qualified, um, has been uh, uh, not given a seat on the board of a family business. And this is a very high profile case that's playing out right now. And I think there's just also a, a cultural difference in India that is that is a little bit different than here. Uh, first, the fact that family is so close knit and that working in the family uh, is often seen as a, a point of honor. And I see that with the students that I work with here at Cornell University as well. There's a little less of that sort of individualistic mindset that we have here, but it's growing. You know, I, again, I think what's happening is all of these cultures are beginning to mesh as people travel more and have access to more resources. So that can be both a positive um, as well as, you know, sometimes a challenge for any family business. But uh, it was fascinating to get over there finally to teach a very, you know, impressive young group of both family business folks, but also people who are just generally interested in family business. And uh, I, I hope that I'll be able to repeat that experience at some point again. Well, I think that is very interesting, the fact that the family unit within the family business operates differently. They stay at home, they live at home much longer, as you indicated, as well as the status of women, in the not only in the family unit, but also in the family business. So let's talk about that next generation. It seems that there's this issue of basic communication, as you touched on a little bit already, as a key factor for this next generation. Uh, as you mentioned, they can they can communicate all around the world now with this uh, remote ability that we have. So the, the question of will they step up in the business? Will they be the next generation of leaders? Um, what kind of career choices do they have? And what are they going to do about those career choices? Maybe you can talk to us a little bit about your experience working with the next gen and, and how are they dealing with assessing those next choices, assessing whether they're going to step up and be part of the business? Yeah, you know, in the class that I teach, uh, both uh, when I was in India, but also here at Cornell, uh, I use a concept that I call uh, big G, little g governance. Uh, of course, governance is a, a system for making decisions and communication. Uh, and we think of board of directors and uh, family council as, you know, very formalized processes of governance. And those I would classify as sort of big G, you know, uh, um, little g to me is is the ability of people to talk and and communicate, uh, and and this is really where I think effective governance begins. And so for students that are in the class, you know, I often ask them the question, you know, have you ever talked with your mom or dad or whoever the senior leaders in the business are about what their plans are for the business, how they might see you um, uh, being involved in those plans. Um, because often I'll have students, they'll say things like, oh, yeah, my dad expects me to come back to the business. And I'll say, well, how do you know that? Well, he just does. You know, <laughs> it's like, well, have you asked him that? Have you actually had that conversation? And, you know, I use a few uh, examples here of uh, one was a student. Uh, this was a number of years ago, uh, had come to Cornell. And over Christmas break, at one point, he went back home uh, only to discover that that mom and dad were selling the business. And he, he said, well, what are you doing? Why are you selling the business? This was something that I was going to school to come home and, and hopefully take over one day. 
And the parents said, well, you went off to school. We thought you had your own plans. So that's why we sold the business. And so just the fact of, of those two parties not having the conversation around what each other's plans were led to uh, the business leaving the family. And I think I think that's an important place for anyone to start who is considering whatever their role is in the business, whether they have active plans to return to it, whether they have no desire to return to it, or they're sort of just on the fence. And so little G conversations to me are having a cup of coffee, having taking mom or dad or whoever, it might even be your siblings, uh, and having some of those more casual conversations where maybe you can ask some of those questions that might be a little bit more challenging, uh, but at least open the doors of, of, of communication. I, I use a trick with some of my students. I'll, I'll often say, you know, use this class as an, uh, as an excuse to have those tough conversations. You know, my professor wants me to ask you this, so I guess I have to. Uh, and sometimes that can open the door to some very honest and open communication. Well, you've touched on this succession planning, right? And succession is always at the top of the list in terms of what families want to hear about from other families. How are they dealing with succession? So do you think that the, the families, not only in India, but here, are doing any better around succession planning? And why is this always continue to be a really important issue, but yet it seems like it's it's not done anywhere near as much as it should be done? Yeah, I think succession planning is, uh, I saw a survey once that it is the number one uh, source of procrastination for every business owner. Because I think on one hand, it deals with uh, the owner at some level, maybe having to face up to their mortality, or at the very least, you know, the fact that, you know, at some point they have to leave this business that has become so much a part of them. On the other side, I think it also deals with uh, choice. You know, is this something that we want to keep in the family? And if so, do we have qualified leadership? And sometimes, you know, if there are numerous children involved, that can require some tough conversations as well. You know, uh, how do you pick one child over another for being the CEO or leader or um, also, you know, kind of making this distinction between ownership of the business, which can sometimes be uh, an equity decision, meaning we want to split this equally amongst the children versus management of the business where uh, sometimes shared leadership can work, but uh, not always. Uh, So this is, you know, I think at the crux of family business and the work that you and I do is helping families to have some of these conversations to realize that uh, it is always going to be there. It's, it's, a, it's a continual process. It's really not a, an endpoint of, of any sort. And it's going to continue to change. And, and by that, I mean, you know, again, with this next generation of business leaders, uh, they have much different expectations of how they want to uh, be actively engaged in the family business. And, and uh, they might want a better lifestyle. They might want to work more remotely. They might want Um, shared leadership, as I referenced earlier. Uh, And sometimes these fly in the face of maybe more traditional senior generation leadership. Uh, And so uh, that can often kind of create some of these tensions that either owners just put off because they don't want to make the decision or, um, uh, you know, it's going to create some some issues within the family once they just figure out how that's going to be. So this is where I think the, the big G governance comes in where having either at the very least a board of advisors or perhaps a more formal board of directors who can play a much more active role 
or at least a, a non-biased role in being able to say, here's what we need as a leader of this business. Um, and maybe one of the family members meets these criteria, but maybe not. Maybe it's time to think of non-family management uh, and the family just retains ownership uh, of the enterprise moving forward. Well, and to help them with this succession, uh, as you and I have talked, there are courses in family business management, succession planning. Of course, there's family business centers that that present a lot of workshop around these topics as well. Um, so Cornell is one of the leading academic institutions with an initiative in family business studies. So talk to us a little bit about what is the state of university level programs for family business in the United States? Sure. This has long been a, an area of fascination for me. Uh, and I, I compare it to entrepreneurship. You know, most every major university has a very active center of entrepreneurship. Uh, you know, we all love entrepreneurship. It's sexy, you know, create the business, build the business, scale it and, and sell it. Um, those are great stories for any university to be able to say they played a role in the creation of, of said business. I mean, think of uh, Florida State University and, and Gatorade and how uh, that's become such a, a part of that university there. Uh, and by last count, there were well over a thousand plus entrepreneurship centers at, uh, at U.S. universities alone. By comparison, to my knowledge, there are probably about 50 what I would call active family business centers within the U.S. and, and trickling over into Canada as well. So for some reason, you know, sustaining a business for generations maybe isn't as sexy as, as creating a business. So I think there's a few reasons this is true. First, um, for universities, um, very often it's, it's the research part of it that, uh, that drives the academic uh, focus. You know, the, the literature surrounding family business is growing and it's growing significantly, um, but it does trail behind, say, entrepreneurship, which was in a very similar position probably in the 1980s, early 1990s, where it was trying to gain foothold within the academic uh, setting. Um, second, related to that first point is, is the fact that research of family business can be very challenging. So these are privately held businesses. And, and as such, they, you know, they can choose what they uh, report or not. Um, so a lot of the research around family business tended to be much more qualitative than, than quantitative. You know, there's not access to huge data sets uh, that might be generated by public uh, entities, you know, finding folks who uh, are actively engaged in this research can be a challenge. And then finally, family business is not a discipline. Family business is really what we would call an interest area uh, or maybe even a theme that cuts across a lot of disciplines. So if you are a, a faculty member at a university, you know, you specialize in finance, accounting, marketing. Um, there are some academics that specialize in family business, but uh, they are fewer and much more far between. So um, I think that's, you know, something that's very important to kind of keep in mind where um, there's just not, there's not as much, I guess, uh, faculty interest in family business because they are uh, rewarded for publishing in top journals. Uh, and there are just many more journals that uh, um, they can publish in if they are a finance faculty or an accounting faculty, or at least journals of of relevance in, in some, some of those cases. Well, so let's talk about um, the courses and the next gen that are taking these courses. Mm -hmm. You and I've talked about doing work around that and 
and getting to understand what next gen wants out of these courses, as well as, you know, what are they learning? But one of the challenges is just identifying next gen family business owners in the first place, right? Because mm-hmm. maybe they're in a family business class, but maybe they're in a finance or accounting class. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could talk to us a little bit about, you know, how you, you've been able to do that and, and how many of your, you know, business classes do you think include family business owners and next gen and and how been how you've been able to figure that out yeah yeah i mean we're we've been very fortunate here at cornell uh the smith family business initiative was founded in 2014 a very generous gift from john and diane smith uh, because they saw that there was a lack of quality education at top universities so we've been able to build a program using the resources that were provided by that gift. And and what that's done is is it's given us uh, time to build and grow the program properly. Uh, And we have always taken very much a student focus. Uh, And by that, I mean, of those other 50 family business centers I referenced earlier, many of them do what we would call outreach. So they they develop uh, trusted networks of family business owners within typically within their geographical region. And while I think these are incredibly important um, for most uh, university centers, it, it sort of overlooks the fact that, you know, the core mission of any university is to educate its students and engage its alumni. Um, so if you're not doing that, then uh, you you can, you know, sort of be easily sidelined in a university setting. So we've seen growth of the academic program here. Uh, we started with one course. Um, we've seen that go from 12 students to up to 60 students this past semester. Uh, and that was that was capped out. Um, those students come from all over the world, truly. And, and we're very fortunate here at Cornell to have uh, a very global population of students. Um, they come from all manner of industry, all size of business. It's really fascinating uh, to see that. We've added a second course, a follow-along course to that. Um, that also has had similar trajectory of growth. Uh, and, and now we, we even have an international trek where we take students abroad uh, to learn about family business in a different cultural setting. So I think the lesson here is that uh, the university has to be behind it and support it. Uh, certainly having the financial resources to build it and grow it um, are necessary. And then also to have the uh, the expertise, have the faculty member and or the program uh, directors uh, that uh, understand the need for this, that can create a home for these students to access once they are at the university. Uh, and what we found is that, you know, this is now something that uh, influences, if not determines, uh, for certain students uh, where they go to school. And uh, the fact that Cornell has this and, and several other um, of our peer schools do as well. You know, this is something they're now looking for uh, when they're making their decision, uh, especially if family business is of importance to them. Well, we have found, as you know, through our Family Enterprise USA research, that many of these students or or people that respond to our survey in particular tend to be second or third generation, and then you know even some into the fourth generation. Are you finding that to be the case in these classes? And the second part of that question would be. How much do most of them know about their family business? Uh, if maybe they're not working in it, but maybe what's what's their knowledge level of the family business? Yeah, so I do. I actually survey at least the students in my class uh, when they take it, and and of those sixty or so students, uh, 
I've actually seen over the last couple of years, the the number of second generation students start to grow. So it used to be sort of that third and fourth generation of, of students. Um, but now as the course has grown, we're, we're, I think, getting more interest from students who are maybe a little bit earlier in the process. You know, yeah, our family owns a a dental practice or our family owns a, a construction company. And I, I don't know what my role is going to be, but, you know, I heard about this family business course, so I'm curious. Um, I'd also attribute some of that maybe to a cultural context, meaning um, a lot of the family businesses in China, where we actually get a lot of our students from, are relatively younger. And so we're seeing that sort of next generation just beginning to emerge in China and, and also in some places in India. Now, I also get quite a few um, students from the ag school, from family farms, and we've had businesses in there that are uh, 10th generation family farms, you know, that date back to the to the 1800s. So, you know, there might be a uh, an industry um, bias there as well, where at least in the U.S., a lot of our family farms do tend to be um, a little bit older uh, and have been established for uh, a much longer time, uh, often third, fourth, fifth generation and beyond. And do you see them knowledgeable about their family businesses or most of them kind of in the dark? I think they're knowledgeable. You know, again, if I go, if I use sort of a cultural context here for a lot of our students that come from the U.S. and North America, it's more of a curiosity factor, more of like, I don't know if I want to do this. Uh, you know, I want to go work uh, in the big city or I want to go out and create my own thing versus uh, by comparison students from say India or Latin America where there's much more of an affinity towards their family business and while they might not return immediately they have very definite plans to make their way back at some point Um, and and again I think that that relates to the family context in both Latin America and uh, in India um, as opposed to the family context here in the U.S., the U.S. is much more focused on entrepreneurship, much more focused on, you know, the individual sort of uh, being the the maker of their own decisions versus uh, a collective approach that we see in, in some of these other cultures. But what I do find in the course, as it relates to what do they know, they know very little. And, and I think that's a good thing from the perspective of they're in the class and they're learning. Uh, so, you know, we take something as basic as the three-circle model that we talk about a lot, and it's it's a, it's a starting point, uh, you know, for understanding the dynamic complexities of family business. Um, most students aren't familiar with that, uh, and that uh, that helps them sort of locate themselves in that in that schematic. You know, I'm part of the family, I've worked in the business, but I don't have any ownership. Um, but this person over here. Uh, has ownership. So there's a bit of a different relationship there, or these people here work in the business, but they're not part of the family. Um, So we use that as sort of a building block. And then we begin to talk about these other things that we've already discussed, like governance, like family systems, like leadership and succession. And what we do see is, you know, students leave that class uh, as well as the the follow-up class, which, which gets into a little bit more depth and detail. Um, much more informed. And uh, one of the one of my favorite parts is when somebody comes in and says, you know, I went home for Thanksgiving and I had this talk with with my parents about the business uh, and I learned a lot. Uh, and this just happened actually two weeks ago uh, when I was in India. 
um, that a student came in after the weekend and said they had that that little G conversation. And uh, and I think that's why these family business classes are so important, because if you're in the family business, you know, it's always there. Um, but you might not actively be learning about family business. You might be learning about whatever the industry is or, you know, how to build a house or how to sell a car, whatever, whatever your family might be involved in. Uh, but until you sort of lift the hood, if you will, and understand it's, it's, it, it can get kind of messy under there. And, and, and until you know what all the moving parts are, um, uh, you know, you, you, you're not really doing yourself a, a service there. I'm glad to hear that there are more courses being offered in, in family business and more schools, understanding how important it is. Glad to hear you've had such great success at Cornell, increasing the number of students that are taking those courses. So maybe you could tell us, and you've talked about this a little bit already, but you could tell us the advantage of a student enrolling in Cornell Smith Family Business Institute courses. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a few advantages. Um, First, it's the fact that they are in there with their peers. Um, I mean, picture yourself as an MBA student at any school. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be Cornell. Uh, and you're in the midst of a, uh, a strategy course. Uh, and the professor's up there giving you all this great insight on business strategy. Uh, but you want to raise your hand and say, you know, that's all well and good, professor, but my dad would never go for that. Um, so no student would probably raise their hand in the strategy course. But in this family business course, they can raise their hand. And then, you know, 15 other heads in the class go, yeah, yeah, I I totally get that. So I think first it's kind of creating that place where they feel like they are understood. They can ask these questions that have more to do with the family and less to do with um, perhaps the business context. And then some of those relationships, either with their peers or, you know, very often, you know, we'll bring in family business owners and leaders from the outside. Um, and, and they get to hear from these business leaders and they realize, oh yeah, um, you know, this is tough stuff. And, but this business survived for third, three or four generations. And here's some of the things they did very well, but um, even the businesses that we promote as business leaders, you know, they will tell you it's tough. Uh, and they've gone through, uh, their own crises from time to time. Uh, but I think the the advantage for the students is just that first exposure to their peers, um, understanding they're not alone, uh, exposure to a wide range of, of expertise, whether it be on the, on the ownership side or the consulting and advising side. Um, and just knowing that, you know, the university values and supports this. Uh, and I think that's long been a challenge for family business centers at universities is that um, you and I have talked about this, Pat, it's, it's sometimes like a game of whack-a-mole. As many of these centers get started up with very good intentions, um, the next week, uh, many other ones get shut down. Um, some of that's due to funding. Some of that's due to the talent that um, or lack of talent that might run these programs. Uh, some of it's due to just a lack of academic interest in the subject. So, Again, we're very fortunate here uh, at Cornell. Um, without that gift, I don't think this would have happened. So there is a financial component that makes some of this possible, but um, there's also uh, an enduring um, uh, support from the school that you know demonstrates that this is important. But again, I think you know, be able being able to to demonstrate the increased participation in classes and activities is a vital component of that. 
Um, and uh, if we weren't able to demonstrate that uh, there is um, ever increasing interest in this area, um, it would make my job much more difficult. Well, you're right about that. Um, we work with, as you know, about 40 of those family business centers around the country, and we support them in any way we can, but we are typically their advocacy arm. But it is um, discouraging when the school president or dean of the business school doesn't really support the initiative. That's usually when it falls apart, right? So you really, really need the school and the leadership of the school to be committed, and it helps if they come from a family business background. Um, so um, you're absolutely right about that. And, and and talking about Family Enterprise USA and working with these centers, as you know, we recently completed our annual survey, which we're known for, and we had 571 respondents. We were incredibly pleased with that response rate in half the amount of time that we've had. And what we learned from our respondents is that taxes is their number one issue. Taxes, as well as you know, labor issues, finding labor, keeping labor, paying labor, and more so since the pandemic. But the income tax issue we find to be one of the top issues because we've also learned that 80% of family businesses operate as a pass-through entity. So they're paying 37% in income tax as opposed to 21% that corporate America gets to pay. So with the work, that, the research work that you're doing at Cornell and the Smith Family Business Institute is initiative, what have you found um, around those lines of, you know, tax policy, income tax policy that's been maybe a concern or an issue if they've expressed it to you at all from your family businesses? Yeah, well, well first, I want to commend you, Pat, and the work that you've done with Family Enterprise USA. You have really grown that network um, and you've given it a voice in Washington, D.C., especially with the recent formation of uh, the Family Business Caucus, which I think is just remarkable. Um, and through you, you know, we're able to pass on a lot of that information uh, and those resources to our um, constituents. We don't really, we're not really a membership organization like some of the other family business centers. We're, we're much more of a network organization in that regard. But I would say, you know, to, to your point, um, you know, the issue of taxes is, is always present because, you know, this is a function of, uh, you know, business owners trying to control expenses, but also, uh, you know, know what's coming from year to year. If, if, if owners can know what's coming and they can plan for it, um, I think the, um, the amount is, is less significant. Um, but if the tax uh, law uh, is changing from year to year, that creates uncertainty and it becomes much more harder to plan for. So, you know, we remain uh, very apolitical. Um, you know, it's it's our job really just to kind of build and grow that network um, and provide resources and or education where possible. So this is where, you know, I would argue that, you know, what you do with Family Enterprise USA is incredibly valued to, to me um, and also, you know, the way that we run our program here at Cornell. You've made yourself greatly available to all the other centers, um, uh, both individually as well as collectively. So, uh, that's what I'm seeing. Um, and, you know, within our sort of smaller peer groups that we run here, um, I think they have uh, more discussions around that. But um, quite honestly, I'm, I'm I'm not privy to some of those conversations because those are those are confidential settings. Well, I appreciate that. And, and thank you for your kind words. So my last question, and you already mentioned this, is really around how do you talk to legislators? How does family businesses get their stories out there? And you you mentioned that we help Congress form this Congressional Family Business Caucus. We're very excited about that. 
our next caucus meeting that I, I hope you're going to be in the room is May 16th. And we are bringing those executive directors from some of the centers around the country to come and be in Washington, D.C. for the day and attend that caucus meeting, as well as do those Hill meetings. Um, and you've done those. So you know how important they are. So my question would be, is there anything else that family business owners can do to get the message out to members of Congress in terms of what are their issues? What are their concerns? What are they stumbling through and trying to run their business every single day? Are there any other suggestions or avenues? Yeah, I mean, first I would sort of compare the the work that you've done with the caucuses at the congressional level to somewhat, you know, the, the plight that we face here at the university, you know, where family business doesn't fit in any one box. You know, it cuts across a lot of areas. Um, and most of the caucuses, from what I learned through that process, are, are much more aligned with industries, you know, whether it's manufacturing or agriculture or you name it. Um, but again, family business cuts across all of that. So the role of the caucus is, is really just to kind of raise the level of awareness and education as it pertains to some of this tax law and or policy that affects businesses across many industries. So it's really... In, in some way, almost kind of creating a, um, a, a quasi-industry of just family business. And I think that's incredibly important uh, because that's what we see here. We don't, we don't specialize in any sort of industry segment. Uh, we, we try to be uh, inclusive when it comes to what family business is. Um, so I think, I, I think giving those family business owners um, a collective voice is incredibly important to know that um, they have somebody that's uh, sort of doing the research, um, being able to report out, uh, and then, you know, having that collective voice have some volume where it's needed. Uh, and I think that's why this partnership between Family Enterprise USA, as well as many of these family business centers is incredibly important because collectively those 50 centers, you know, each have relationships with anywhere between 50 and 100 businesses. So, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we're starting to get into the thousands of family businesses that uh, if we can kind of channel their voice in one direction, uh, suddenly that has incredible impact. So I know that's the value that that I see in our relationship with Family Enterprise USA. And that's the value that I uh, sort of sell to our constituents when we talk about, hey, um, Please do this survey. It's incredibly important. Um, please, um, you know, attend Capitol Hill if you can, or just let us know uh, what's on your mind, and then and then we can be your voice uh, for you. So I think that's uh, you know what you've done, and and I'm very excited about the caucus, and I do plan to be there in May, and uh, because this will be sort of the last year was getting it started, and and you know now this year hopefully we'll see that in action, uh, and hopefully that you know that conversation becomes a little bit more two way that it's not just us sort of talking to congressional leaders, but, um, you know, them saying, okay, this is great. You know, here's, here's what we're going to do, or here's the actions that we need to take. Well, I appreciate that. And we really appreciate you coming to Washington, D.C. on May 16th for that caucus meeting. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, the caucus is an educational caucus. You're absolutely right. It's not a policy caucus. Mm -hmm. It's meant to educate members of Congress, the media, voters, all of who really don't understand family businesses. And it's bipartisan. We're very, very pleased to have co-chairs, four co-chairs, two Democrats and two Republicans. So we really appreciate your time. And this has been a real pleasure, Dan. With so much going on, I want to thank you for your time. This has been fascinating. 
I know our family business leaders have learned a lot about the next generation of family business leaders and how they will take charge with your help and Cornell's help with the Smith Family Business Initiative. Awesome. Thanks, Pat. As always, it's been a pleasure and, and look forward to seeing you in person real soon. We hope you liked today's show and we hope you subscribe to our podcast where each episode discusses the critical issues affecting multi-generational family businesses around the country. You can find this podcast wherever you download your podcast. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this week's Family Enterprise USA podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Inolex. This is the only series devoted exclusively to the critical issues facing America's family businesses, the families that own them, and family offices. We hope you like this week's show. Please make sure to subscribe and tell others about our podcast. Your voice in Washington, D.C. and throughout the country can make a difference. We look forward to having you listen to us next time.